Good morning to all of you in other locations as well. So this is, um, it's already been a very encouraging morning to be around God's people. So I appreciate just your presence and, and, uh, the smiles that we can't see on each other's faces because they're half covered. You know, uh, there is, uh, a lot of different, um, areas of life where it's pretty easy for us to acknowledge who the great ones are. You know, if you're looking at athletics or, uh, does anybody say athletics anymore? It sounded like such an old man term. It's like if we were talking about math, arithmetic, athletics, uh, athletes, artists, entertainers, business people, politicians, we know who the great ones are. We know who the ones that stand out are. We know, we know the names, uh, their household names for the most part. And we like to credit their success with this it factor, this thing that they were born with, this gift, this natural ability that they have. And yet whenever you ask most of them how they arrived at the level that they're at, they will credit something else. They won't necessarily say, well, hey, kind of hard to argue with these genes. Am I right? I mean, look, I'm six foot nine. I can jump over buildings. I can, you know, paint this without even opening my eyes and things like that. That's not really what most of them say. Michelangelo, of course, we know is the famous artist and sculptor. Um, He said, if people knew how hard I had to work to gain my mastery, it would not seem so wonderful at all. How often do we hear of an artist like Michelangelo working over and over and over again on his skill? It's been said that he would spend hours and days and months and years perfecting even just the the hands, how the hands should look in his skills. We said goodbye earlier this year to to, uh, an athlete that has had household recognition around the world in Kobe Bryant, one of the greatest to play in his generation and one of the greatest to play basketball ever. And of course, if you watch him, it would seem so fluid and natural that he must have been born with this incredible ability. And I'm no doubt he had some skill for sure. And, uh, but he, he said, I can't relate to lazy people. We don't speak the same language. I, I don't understand you. I don't want to understand you. Most of what we heard coming out of Kobe Bryant's death and as people were reflecting on his career and all of his success, five championships with the <clears throat> Los Angeles Lakers, But uh, with all of his success, people said much more about his work ethic than they did even his uh, talent because he was determined to get it right. He was determined to be in the gym later than anybody else. A lot of these athletes will be in a gym in a, in a, like a, a basketball player will be in the, on the court at three, four in the morning, oftentimes working on some of the fundamentals. In business, perhaps the name Warren Buffett is the elite when it comes to wisdom and success, and people are still going to him for uh, comment and, and perspective on the times in which we live. And Buffett says, we don't have to be smarter than the rest, we just have to be more disciplined. Dubbed the speaker of the century, politics often looks back at Winston Churchill as a great orator, somebody in his speeches and with the right phrasing and everything could rouse entire nations and get the world to see uh, that there's so much more to do and accomplish. And he was often credited for his great ability to speak. And yet none of that or most of that did not come from natural ability. 
He had deficiencies in that area. And so it's well known of him that he would work through his manuscripts over and over and he would practice them out loud. The notes in the margins of his manuscripts would, would anticipate people's cheers or hesitations for response or reaction so that he could get his, his entrance phrase coming out of that just right. Of course, we know who Thomas Jefferson is and he is quoted famously to say, I'm a great believer in luck. And I find the harder I work, the more of it I have. So we look at these greats in their craft and we have a tendency to see just the end result. We have the tendency to see that how great they are as a result of something that they were, they won the genetic lottery or they happen to have the gifts or the opportunities that you and I don't. But yet they look at it as I needed to discipline myself in order to really capitalize on the thing that I was called or motivated to do. Now, we're not here to talk about being great artists or great athletes or great politicians or any of those things. Of course, God's people are led to be great at whatever they do. But the question before all of us and what's been heavy on my mind and heart is, do we as as individual believers, as a collective body of believers, do we desire to be great at this thing called being a Christian? And that would mess with our heads a little bit. We'd say, well, that sounds a little ambitious. I don't equate uh, uh, being a Christian or even being somewhat good at it as being ambitious. Or I don't equate that as being something I have to work towards to attain difficulty. But, but the reality is, as we look through the scriptures, the Bible equates growth in Christ or it, cre- it equates faithfulness with determination and hard work. The question is, do we want to be more engaged Christians? I was having this conversation with one of our elders this week and just talking out the the elements or the bones of this message. And he said, as I said to him, I said, that's kind of my, my heart's cry is, do we want to be more engaged Christians? And he said to me, he goes, or we might ask, do we still want to be more engaged Christians? I thought that was a brilliant change to that question because you and I came into the faith lit up. You and I encounter Jesus Christ when we really recognize the deficiency of our sin and how unholy it made us before a holy God. And then having the the plan of salvation spelled out to us that God himself in all of his perfection and holiness sent his son to bridge the gap between us and him because our sin kept us from him. And he made a way through the sinless sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, sealing that promise that you and I could have forgiveness of sins. You and I ran into this relationship. We ran around telling people, this is amazing. I want you to find the freedom I found. We started opening the scriptures and everything was leaping off the page. I never knew this was true. I never knew this existed. I never knew this ancient text had such practical answers for my life. And then we normalize it over time. Then we go through some things. We quote unquote mature ourselves out of this excitement. And I'm certainly not talking about uh, restoking emotions, but asking the questions, do we still want to be more engaged Christians? Now, I'm quite aware that if I come before you and just give you some things you ought to do, that I'm pretty much preaching to the choir. 
I know that because you're here this morning through weird and difficult circumstances or you're checking in in the message online because you're committed to making sure that you're staying connected with the teaching of the word of God or maintaining some sense of community to your local church even while you're having to be distant. I understand I'm preaching to the choir. If I say to you, you know, things like um, uh, the Bible or studying the Bible is really important or, you know, you should pray more. Or, or you should, um, you should be around other believers more than you're able to make time or more than you're making time for. Or, you know what? We should, we should give more money to the work of God. If I tell this crowd, these, this audience, these things in this day and age, most people are going to respond saying, yeah, I've been thinking and feeling the same thing. That I don't anticipate that we come before the teaching of the word of God and just go, yeah, let's see if this guy can try to tell me why the Bible's important because I'm not buying it. You know, what are we, what are we praying for anyway? God ain't listening. You know, most of us are coming to this saying, I already recognize that God is up here, that his plan for me is, is bigger than often what I realize and what I make it. I just have this difficulty of becoming or being all that my spirit or my heart thinks or wishes I would be for the cause of Christ. And so what we're going to be talking about, Lord willing, for the next four weeks is a mashup of words that don't often go together in our vocabulary, or at least in our, our conditioned um, eardrums in uh, 2020. And these two words are spiritual disciplines. If, if we start talking about the spiritual disciplines that are, that are required of us or that are available to us, and we don't treat this as a, as a topic that is understood to be something that we all kind of want to be better at what we do. You know, that we all walk into a sen- walk in with a sense of deficiency and knowing probably what we should be and, and wanting to be more, but just the struggle of, I don't know why I don't ever seem to get there. Or when I do, I don't know if it's enough. We think of, and, and, and unfortunately, this really has crept into the, the, uh, the, the realm of, of church thought and thinking, that we think that spiritual and disciplines don't go together because spiritual has been defined for us over and over and over again through all the things that we consume now, all the inputs that we have. Spiritual, is, it was subtle to begin with. It was something that we made fun of, and now it's become normal. Spiritual is identified as something that relaxes us. Spiritual is identified as some kind of checking out and just connecting to something somewhere that disconnects us from the reality or our feet on the ground. Spiritual is this idea of like floating on the waves or hearing voices from deep within or from far removed without. But the scriptures say that spiritual is the thing that shows up in everyday life. That, that Paul says, I beat my body into subjection in order that I might grow in Christ. There are these efforts and these disciplines that God and his people all through the centuries have practiced and expected to be a part of this thing called being a Christian. So we have work to do in our own thinking that would have to disconnect the worldly definition of spirituality to start seeing it the way that the Bible lays it out for us. So it's strange for us to think that spirituality is something that might require work. Now, keep in mind, if you're new to this whole discussion or you're new to things of the Bible, please hear what I'm not saying. 
is that these things do not earn really anything in terms of favor with God. These are in response to the life that God has already given uh, to us just by himself that we've received. So these spiritual disciplines are not a move towards religion. In other words, me trying to prove that I'm worthy of God's grace and glory. It's the motivation to do these things because of the grace and glory God's already shown me. That may seem like semantics or splitting hairs, but it's incredibly uh, powerful when you see what the difference of those two things are. So what would I even practice if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I've already walked into this situation going, yeah, if somebody tells me I need to pray more, I'm pretty much, yeah, I should. Yeah, I should study the Bible more. Yeah, I know. I've been wondering that too myself. What, where would I begin? What would I do? And so uh, faith as a church, we've been trying to spell out now for the last month or two, three simple phrases that would get us prepared for the seasons ahead, as Gus was praying earlier, not knowing what those seasons are going to be, not knowing what, what new challenges are going to hit the people of God. We believe that these three areas are going to be able to set us in a, in a forward motion to understand what the disciplines are that we should be developing. And the first of that we said would be that we would grow in our biblical conviction that you and I would would find new levels of understanding and applying the word of God. That we would get more and more serious as we go about the availability of God's plan, his will for us in the text of scripture, and that we would find new ways to strengthen our resolve to be people of the word of God. That we would move towards a personal connection and in, 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 in even the ability to redefine it so that no matter what happens with COVID and what happens with the way the world's going is that I, as a, as a child of God, would not lose connection, however that plays out, with God's people, that I need to live a life of community because I can't do this thing on my own. And there are other people that feel like they have to do this on their own because they don't have those friends or contacts. I want to minister to them. And then lastly, that we would not slow down no matter what circumstances present themselves to us, that we would not slow down on our demonstration of acts of outward compassion, that you and I would continue to give in and of ourselves, that we would give our time, our talents, our treasures, as we hear so often, that we would give those things to the lost and the dying, to those that need the message of the cross, and that we would do that generously, charitably, and we would do it together. So between biblical conviction, personal connection, outward compassion, we could word it a little bit like this, that we will be people that live by the word of God and live with God's people and live for God's mission. And so Lord willing, over the next four Sundays, these disciplines will be explained to be what we can do with the Bible, how we can grow in our understanding and appreciation of God's word. And then the following week, we'll talk about how God's people are called to prayer and how we can engage in prayer with and for each other. What fellowship is going to look like, what it needs to look like, what it, what it means for Christians to live in community. Because up until about nine months ago, eight months ago, we thought that more fellowship meant more gatherings. Scripture has so much more for us in that regard. And then lastly, just prior to Christmas, again, Lord willing, that we will talk about stewardship. And that means, how do I live my life with margin? 
How do I live my life with room for God to work and lead me? If everything from my calendar to my, to my bills, to my time, all that kind of stuff, if it's stacked full and I've got no room to move and the Holy Spirit's trying to nudge me to accomplish some of these other things and I can't move because I'm, I'm in deep debt in all areas of life. Instead, we start to look at it as God has given me this life by his grace and he's the owner of my life and I am simply its manager. So these will be the, the next four weeks as we talk about what it means to have spiritual discipline. There's a phrase that's been going through my mind the last few weeks and I, and I, and I want to qualify it a little bit because I don't want it to sound uh, the opposite of what I intend. And that phrase is more than before. Now, if, if I were to say to you, you need to give more than before, you would think, okay, I got to keep stepping it up and, and stretching myself. And if I said, you need to, you know, work more than before, it just sounds like piling it on and getting busy. And if you were in the membership meeting that we had on Sunday night, we talked about how all of mankind is going to need a bit of a breather after 2020. And that this is a great opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to walk in faith, in simplicity. Rather than piling all these activities and all of these things, especially if the doors start opening a little bit more and we start going back to our old frenetic lifestyles, instead of abandoning that and saying, Lord, how can I walk in a more simplistic way that is more glorifying to you because I'm actually able to breathe in the grace of God and display that for other people? So more than before is not talking about crank up your effort and, and get yourself busy and busy and busy. It's more of a little bit the opposite. I find, I don't know if you can relate to this or not, I find that I set big goals for myself that when I set out to accomplish them, I just have, I've set them far too high. And as soon as I start failing on these unrealistic expectations, I kind of chuck the whole thing. Anybody ever tried working out? I'm going to look like Arnold next week. And then you go to pick up the bar with no weights on it and you're doing like a Pee Wee Herman, like, that's it, I can't do any of this. I'll never be Arnold, so I'm not going to even try. You know, that's a silly ex- a- a illustration, but that's kind of how we do things so often. It's difficult to learn pace. It's difficult to learn measure in life, isn't it? We have instant results fever in our lives. Everything needs to pay off or else it's not going to entice me. More than before is, is in my mind, this kind of thing that, that doesn't set the bar so high that we fail right out of the gate. But we look backwards and say, I grew a little bit. I, I grew a little bit more than I ever have before. This morning's topic, we're going to be talking about uh, approaching the word of God and, and getting into the Bible. And so the mindset of more than before is instead of setting myself up for this lofty goal that I never seem to achieve, how can I set myself up to accomplish more than I ever have before. So our thought this morning is how to live by God's word and not just live with God's word. You and I are all Bible friendly, are we not? Somebody speaks the word of God. We're not sitting there going, oh, don't tell me that. I don't want to hear it. We, we come to church, we hear somebody teach us and we spend an hour in church together and we feel fed and fulfilled and and ready to move on. We're not anti God's word. We've lived with God's word for so long. But, but the question becomes, especially in during a season like we are now, if you were to look back on how 2020 began and how you've weathered it and how you're coming through it, could you say I'm living by God's word or am I living with God's word? Living by God's word means something much deeper. 
All right, so let's get into this with the time that we have. Some of this will move a little bit quickly, and I apologize. We're going to cover a lot of ground. Before we get there, every preacher that says they're going to talk to you about the importance of the word of God is going to take you right to this text that we're going to start with in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17. In seminaries and Bible college, entire papers and books have been written on the importance of these two verses right here. So we'll do the same, but again, with the mindset that you guys are already fairly convinced that God's word's important. So where's our disconnect? This is what Paul says to Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Paul is saying in the midst of a lot of other things that we're going to look at, Paul is saying that the word of God is incredibly powerful, extremely important. I wrote down several phrases that came to mind as I was looking at this text, all kind of with, with fresh eyes this week. And it it jumped out to me that the scriptures are more than informational. They're transformational. Rather than just getting a download of information, which is quite possible with the scriptures, we can study it to learn history. We can study it to see what people thought and and acted like in the time that it was written and it not have any internal application to us. We can read it like a text, but it's more than that. The scriptures are able to transform our lives. I debated on whether or not I'd share this or not, but we had somebody not within faith. Uh, we had somebody challenge our ministry this week because of this idea of uh, putting the notice out for masks and encouraging the wearing of masks. And they knew the scripture they wanted to quote. They had the information and this, and the information had to do with this is ungodly because it's been said like in the Corinthian church, you can't wear a head covering when you're in And all this kind of stretchy weirdness about what the text, what the word of God said, as though the original author said, so when the mass thing comes, I'm going to say a few things about that right here. And we're seeing a lot of this. This has nothing to do with whether or not you're for or against masks. It's how we're handling the word of God to make our point. You see, this is more than informational. It's transformational. What we've been leading faith to do and allowing the Lord, hopefully, prayerfully to do ourselves, even as a leadership, is to allow it to transform our thoughts so that the Bible doesn't have to meet what we think we agree with, but yet we would get on board with what God says about the way things are going in life. The scriptures are more than directive, they're corrective. I like this because it's not just, it's not just pointing out the problem. It's not just pointing out the way to go. It's actually saying, I'm going to help you get there. You've been walking on this path for far too long. I'm going to take your hand. I'm going to cut you across a shortcut. We're going to get you over here on the right path. It's not just saying, oh yeah, you made a wrong turn. You're supposed to turn left at Albuquerque and you didn't do it. So go over that way. It's not just the guy on the side of the road giving you instructions. It's the one that says, you know what? You got lost a little bit. Let me help you. Let me show you a different way around. The scriptures get to the heart of our problem, not just our behavior. So again, sorry to be so uh, personal about this whole thing. I really, again, wasn't sure I would even go in this direction. But instead of the scripture saying whether or not we should or shouldn't wear masks, it gets to the heart of why we will or we won't. Does that make sense? Again, not making a judgment on whether or not we should or shouldn't. That's not the point. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 
says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. See, the scriptures get to places that no other informational text can get to, that no other podcast can get to, that no other article or no other lecture. Scriptures get to the place that challenges who we are and why we are and adjusts our motives at a heart level by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures are more than descriptive. They're prescriptive. It doesn't just expose the problem. Oh, you've got this cancer of sin in your life is what the scriptures would call our cancer. But it actually delivers the solution. Imagine how hopeless it would be. You go to see your doctor and he or she has incredibly terrifying news for you and then says, so good luck with that. You know, any any doctor now worth their weight in salt, anybody with their appropriate bedside manner would know, I'm about to deliver very scary, unsettling information. I better come in quickly with some hope. I better come in quickly with some direction. Listen, we've seen this before. Listen, we know what your treatment options are. I know you're going to need a second to process the bad things I just told you, but I want you to very quickly understand that you're not walking through this alone. It starts to give somebody hope as they're going through this, and this is what the Word of God does for us. At the heart level supplies the solution to our problem. Romans ten seventeen, the solution to our problem is, is the salvation that comes. He says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So again, going back to second Timothy three, 16 and 17, that says that scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, correction, reproof and training and righteousness. We understand the value of the scriptures. We know that our entire lives are to be oriented around it. The question then becomes, so how do we make it that much more valuable in our lives? How do we esteem it to the level that it is? And I found it interesting because I was supposed to go to those verses, I say kind of tongue-in-cheek, because that's the popular thing to do, to convince Christians they need to read the Bible more. You talk about how important it is. What I saw, actually, as I looked at the context around it, which I, I hadn't quite put together before, was that Paul was giving this incredibly powerful instruction on the value of the Word of God in the midst of a very practical problem. He was saying to Timothy, as we're going to see as we start this chapter, he was saying to Timothy, I'm going to remind you of how incredibly powerful the word of God is because you're dealing with very real things day in and day out. Let's look at this. We're going to dissect much of uh, chapter three and a little bit of chapter four. We're not going to exposit it. We're not going to camp out on certain phrases or define certain words. We're going to dissect it. So if you guys remember, was it fifth grade? You would cut open a frog. Can anybody smell the formaldehyde as I say this now? Lovely, isn't it? Cut open a frog, what are you there? You're identifying, the teacher is telling you, and these are the major, these are the organs and things like that. That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the inside, we're going to say these are the major elements of what we're looking at, rather than defining how everything works, okay? So we go into uh, 2 Timothy 3 to understand that what Paul is addressing in a very practical way is threefold here. The world's growing evil is point number one for the first five verses. He says in verse one, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, 
Is this sounding familiar at all? Looking familiar at all? This should be telling us something that it's not new, right? They'll be ungrateful, unholy, verse 3. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not loving good. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And then he tells Timothy, avoid such people. Paul is saying that the last days, which is a a time period marked from the institution of the church, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the institution of the church now has been in the last days for these last couple thousand years. That it's a, it's a season or a, an era, if you will, of the time winding down. And that's very consistent in scripture. That the last days will be marked by difficulty. That as the church grows or flourishes, as we anticipate God's movement going and tackling and conquering new ground, we shouldn't expect it to be rosy. And just because Jesus says, trust in me that our way would be smooth. He says the last days are going to be difficult and people will practice all kinds of evil. And most of it, if you see this description and look at it, most of it has something to do with being all about me in various forms in various outcomes. Paul is saying the greatest uh, problem you're going to be dealing with young Timothy in your ministry is the fact that everyone's looking at themselves, thinking about what they deserve, what they like, what they don't like, what they'll do, what they won't do. It's all about me, me, me. And we think this is a relatively new problem. And then he even goes on to explain, we're going to skip a few verses here, but he even goes on to explain in some specifics how the innocent get under attack because of the selfishness of others. So this has a very real consequence as Timothy is learning ministry, saying, look, you're going to have to look out for some people here because selfishness is going to seek to take advantage of those who are more innocent. So there's this growing evil that Paul is addressing that sounds really, really ugly in Timothy's day. And we could transpose it, we could, or superimpose, if you will, over society today and say, sounds kind of like what we're dealing with. And I'm not even talking about out there. I'm talking about as I see my reflection in the mirror, that how some of my actions and some of my heart condition match that list too. And I'm saying, Lord, if it's even in your spiritual leadership, how much more is it in the world? That there is a growing evil today and our hearts are prone to it and our hearts are conditioned to accept it. The second thing as we continue to dissect this frog is that Paul is pointing out to Timothy the church's growing threat. What is creeping in on the church? Part of it I just mentioned. But let's look at some of these verses a little bit uh, disjointed here. But uh, we're going to see that what Paul is is holding Timothy to is an understanding of how f- fully encompassing faith is for Paul. And he wants Timothy to be encouraged by that. He says in verse 10 and 11, he says, You, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. My persecutions and sufferings that have happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So, so Paul is saying to Timothy, as he's talking about the importance, as he's getting ready to talk about the importance of the word of God, he's saying, Timothy, you've seen that this has been an all-encompassing aspect of my life. I have dedicated everything to this new path. And we know from studying Paul a little bit in 2 Corinthians that Paul was radically transformed, radically changed from an old selfish heart 
but still a heart that was um, religiously zealous. And he's saying, you've seen that I, I go full bore and that everything in my life has been overtaken by this faith. But he's also warning Timothy, this isn't meant to be our best life. This is this experience that we're going through wasn't meant to be such smooth sailing in verses 12 and 13. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be taken care of, will be satisfied, will be walking down the red carpet. No, of course not. Right. Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. That's a pleasant description. Deceiving. And being deceived. So again, Paul is warning. We need to come to some terms here, Timothy. You're going to be leading a people. You're going to be reaching into a people that are selfish by nature. That have, how their hearts have all turned to wickedness. And this life of, of godly pursuit is going to be very difficult and painful for you. It's not meant to be your best life. You're preparing for your best one to come. And then also the growing threat on the church is a, a battle of apathetic ears. He continues, we're going to jump down to chapter 4 and look at verse 3 and 4 just to make this point. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Are we not so tempted by that now? When our opinions are at a fever pitch, when we are kind of divided right down the middle of what any topic that comes, are you for, you know, kittens or are you for puppies? You know, and it's like 50% of the world that we live in is a kitten group of people. 50% are puppies and they're going to tell you why you're an idiot because you don't see it their way. It's very difficult to us to resist the temptation of I got to find someone that talks like me. I got to find someone who's going to tell me what I want to hear because I'm tired of all of this. You see how that combats our pursuit as believers of the truth, whether we like it or not. It pushes against our, our spirit. We talked over the last couple of weeks about enduring, pushing against the, the pressure of the prowling lion of the devil who's seeking someone to devour, that he's relentless and we're leaning against trying to hold the door closed while he's trying to get in. And all of these circumstances we find ourselves in are so tempting for us to say, I don't, can't do this anymore. Can't listen to what this person's saying or I can't listen to what's going on out there anymore. There's an apathy that's growing within the church where we're just so tired of the debate. We're so tired with having to wrestle through these things that we just want to turn it off and listen to something pleasant. And that is a growing threat in the church because truth, even in difficult times, is getting harder and harder to hear. I think the last thing that we would see as we're opening up our frog together is that the word has a growing impact. This is the point that Paul wants to make. Not all is lost, not all is hopeless, that there is an answer to this problem. In order to, to set us up for the verses we're going to see, I want to just share with you guys the uh, doctrinal statement that we've adopted as a church from our um, association we belong to, which is the Evangelical Free Churches of America. The doctrinal statement, the portion that deals with our understanding of the scriptures says this. 
We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation, and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. We could say, in, in a sense, this is a summary or an application of what Paul is telling Timothy to remember. That the scriptures, even the ancient texts, are the answers for today's problems. I think because we're going through a new season and something that our generation hasn't seen, I know I'm tempted to find what are people thinking in the midst of this right now. If I see a book that uh, speaks to the area I'm trying to study and it's published in 2020, I'm like, good, I get to hear what other people are thinking about all this weirdness. Yet Paul is calling Timothy back to an ancient truth by saying this in verse 14 and 15. He says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. The answers to today's problems are tried and true and are all wrapped up in an ancient text. And that's the part that you and I need to settle in our conviction. Why? Because the scriptures give us wisdom. We see that as verse 15 continues. He says, you know, the thing from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Wisdom today stands out like a sore thumb. Wisdom today just is like a beacon, just blinking bright for all to see. When we're all in the same soup, we're all feeling the heat of it. Somebody who's on the outside of that says, this is the way this is going and this is what we need to anchor ourselves in, stands out. And no doubt there'll be all kinds of false prophets competing for that spotlight as well. But the scriptures give you and I a wisdom that many don't have access to. And that's when he says the, the passage that we started off with, that all scripture in verse 16 is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man, woman, person, child of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible is literally profitable for everything. No, it doesn't have recipes in there. No, it doesn't have surgical techniques. No, it doesn't talk about how to change a transmission. But all of those practices, all of those skills from the beginning of time have all answered to the authority of the scriptures. How we go about those things, what they are intended to be used for, what we put our hope in, all surrender to the authority of scripture. That's why James 1 tells us, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, which is the ultimate thing we all need. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, in other words, takes a hard look and says, I don't like what I see, but I'm going to keep staring so I can figure out what's wrong. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed 
in his doing. The scriptures are a great leveler of all the things that you and I um, are tempted to give greater weight in our society for. Certain careers or occupations, certain talents or skill sets, all those sorts of things. The scriptures level the playing field so that you can have people from all different walks of life, national backgrounds and uh, all these other differences that we have come together and surrender to the authority of scripture and find meaning and find purpose, but find community together in it. It levels the playing field because we're all looking at an image in a mirror that is marred and tainted by sin. And we're all in need of the Holy Spirit to do his repair work in our lives so that we continue to surrender to it. And we see that image starting to change. And instead of seeing us more clearly, which is what the world keeps getting out as a mantra, go find yourself, go find yourself. We start seeing in that reflection an image of the son of God. And he starts to shine brighter in us and his reflection is made clearer in us. And that's as a result of the cleansing power and the work and the authority of the word of God. So the simple question is, what would it take for you to make the scriptures a priority in your life? We can't say it any more clearly about how important they are. We can't, we can't uh, just continue to talk about why it's a necessity. You and I all know the good things to do. Somebody says you should do a few push-ups. We're like, yeah, I know. I just don't. You should probably eat a salad instead of that steak. I know, but the steak was calling my name. It was beautiful. And it is. What do we do with that? Why, why don't we become the believers, the practicing Christians in all reality that we know we could or should be? I'm going to ask you to do this. This is kind of my, my key question or my big ask for the day. Would you be brave enough to evaluate your biblical compass during the season that we've been in this thing called 2020? Would you be brave enough to look back and just say, okay, Lord, how prevalent was the principles of the word of God in my life? And I I use that word compass on purpose because it's pointing us in a direction. How much did I rely on that versus getting swept up in all the frenzy of opinion and talk radio and news on the TV and Facebook posts and how, how much did I just scroll for everything I took in? How much did I depend and anchor myself in the principles of God's word to, to weed through those things? This isn't a call to just abandon it all or to walk away from it, but to allow the word of God to filter those things instead of the other way around. Would you be brave enough to evaluate your biblical compass during 2020 and then ask the Lord to prepare you for a better year of uncertainty, which we know is coming with biblical guidance and strength. Of course, I can't make you do that. I hear from so many of you that are processing this already. So many of you are sharing with me testimony of the fact that you've grown in your walk with the Lord, that this downtime has gotten your nose in the book and that you're listening and applying and thinking and stuff. This is why it's so critical for what Pastor Tom was mentioning earlier about the app that we're unroll, that we're rolling out, that the, the missing piece in this is not just another thing. So you listen to the scriptures or you read some text on your screen. There's an incredible opportunity to interact and to discuss it and to say, this is what jumped out at me this week. I saw this when I heard this in the text this morning and to share that with a community of believers so that it starts to resonate in your mind more and starts to entrench itself in your heart. We don't know what's coming our way, but we know enough, don't we? 
We know enough of what to anticipate. And we know that if you and I don't get anchored on the principles of God's word as our guiding light in all of this, we're going to go through another roller coaster season. My prayer is that we don't have to as a people. What have been the primary reasons that you've not achieved some of the goals maybe you've set out? We, we always like to roll out a read through the Bible cover to cover plan every year. How have you done with that? How can you adjust your goals to accomplish more than before rather than getting stuck in the same places? I got to admit to you that I've been doing this read through the Bible program year after year for longer than I can remember. And I still come to passages and places in the scripture. I feel like I'm hearing it for the first time. And I say, why? And it's not one of those positive things. You know how sometimes you read a passage of scripture, like I've read this a million times and now it means something to me. I think our circumstances change and the Lord uses them to to give us hope. But I'm talking about the things that I've forgotten. I'm like, I know I've had to read this at least 20 times. I don't remember what that guy's name is and who they begat and what they did and all that sort of stuff. Because I get in a mode of needing to check my box off. I get in a mode of saying, I got to get those chapters in today so that I, at the end of the year, I can say, I read through the Bible cover to cover. And it gives me no greater spiritual principle or impact in my heart. It gives me the sense of accomplishment, which is important, but it's not as powerful or profitable than if I were to say, you know what? I don't really know that minor prophet so well in the Old Testament. I'm going to spend some time over the next couple of months. I'm going to read through it a bunch of times. I'm going to read some people, how they set it up, how they explain what's going on there. At the end of 20, 2021, I want to be able to look back and say, yeah, my nose was in the Bible. I just had to do it differently because it wasn't re- necessarily resonating or sinking in, or I kept quitting somewhere around March. So what's going to get me through and what's going to make it more applicable or appropriate? So some suggested steps for us going into the next year, beginning now though, would be to tackle a little at a time. And even this is something that as leadership, we're starting to say to ourselves, I, we've got four or five ideas that we want to bring the church through in terms of Bible participation and application. And my temptation is to give you all five ideas at once. Let's all do this together. And then, of course, come February or March, we'll all be like, well, that was a good idea. It was cute. Didn't stick. So what we're going to do is piece at a time, a little bit at a time, as we feel like we're mastering one aspect of that, we're going to try something else and say, hey, while you're doing that, let's add to it this. It'll have things that will challenge us in, in reading um, more precisely and communicating together with what the word is. It will encourage us to memorize certain things a little bit more, but we're going to do this in phases and over time. We're going to tackle a little at a time as we build our biblical conviction. I would also encourage you to adjust your expectations and lessen your self-condemnation. I've seen Christians beat themselves up for trying to read the word of God more than almost anything else. It's, it's almost like we think that God's up there going, oh, you missed a day. You didn't check that box off. I am mad at you today. Christians are striving towards, Lord, I want to hear your voice more. I want to grow. I'm just having a hard time with this routine thing and discipline thing and other pressures are coming or life just blew up in my face. And the Lord's like, don't camp on that. Let's make some improvements and adjustments and we'll get back to it. There's a lot of grace in this. Go for some easy wins. I know this sounds pretty pathetic and pretty lighthearted, but go for some easy wins. If all the Bible content and consumption you're getting is when me or somebody in my position is delivering it to you on a Sunday morning, try a few things differently. I'm going to give you some of the most basic things, just a couple. Uh, one you've already heard about three times now. But the first is start getting in the habit of maybe bringing your Bible to church. 
This has been something that's been on my heart and mind for a couple of years, and I've wondered if, because we've wanted to make the scriptures uh, more available for those who don't own a Bible yet, and that was part of the church mindset, and I think appropriately so, that as you come in, it's just easier to see it on there. Sometimes lighting in a room like this is a little wonky and stuff, so we're going to continue doing that. But there's something about you having your own scriptures and having your own ability to mark in the margins or to notice where it is in the page. Or if we're saying turn here to get familiar with where it is in the Bible instead of being rusty on some of those things, I would encourage you to consider just bringing your Bible to church. I'm going to give a cue, though, to the cleaning staff because that means about 10 of them will get left behind each week. If you've lost your Bible, it'll be up on the coat rack around the corner there in that little dark hallway. That's where we put all the lost Bibles. But even that would be a good sign because you'll miss it and you'll want it back and we'll have set it aside. But I just encourage you to start bringing your Bible to church. The second thing is what we've already discussed. Join the Bible app group. This isn't just a cute little tool that we're adding on. This is something that we think as long as primarily we're seeing that the most impactful thing is if you have a cell phone. We just want to really build some community around a daily activity that you and I can be chewing on the word of God in the midst of whatever's going. We're going to take some risk with that. Someone's going to comment and say something weird about what they read or that kind of thing. There's some risk involved with that, but that's part of being a family. Um, and then we'll let the body and we'll let the Holy Spirit correct what needs to be corrected. All right, so this is us moving in a spiritual discipline of making our biblical convictions stronger for the year ahead. That's the challenge to all of us. Would you please pray with me as we prepare to continue in our time of music? Lord, I want to thank you, God, for giving us time in your word. I thank you, Lord, for making your word applicable, encouraging to me personally, Lord. Um, I just can't thank you enough, Lord, with how refreshing you are right when I need it most. And I know so many others can testify the same. Continue to humble us in the light of your word. Continue to cause us to surrender our wills to it, to seek your truth first and then our actions second. Thank you, Lord, for how much you love us and, and bless us in this endeavor. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand?